Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to Postcards from a Dying World's Top 10 Horror Novels Extravaganza for uh, Halloween 2020. We're trying, this is our attempt to get you all kinds of books that you want to read, that you're dying to read by talking about our favorites. I've got three horror novel experts that I've gathered to join me for this. (laughs) And um, I know... I know we've all been um, agonizing on trying to get down to 15 titles that we're going to suggest to you. Five honorable mentions and our top 10 with no authors repeating because obviously we can do a Stephen King list or a Clive Barker list um, on its own. Uh, Ironically enough, Stephen King did not end up in all of our lists, which... Mm. um, is really interesting. Um, we all respect Uncle Steve, so it's of not. Course. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to start by introducing ourselves. So starting off um, from the Pacific Northwest, uh, Sadie Hartman, tell us who you are and what you do and what's your horror bonafides. Hi, I am Sadie Hartman, aka Mother Horror on social media. I have an Instagram account. I have a Twitter account where I basically just fangirl about horror nonstop. Um, That kind of persona has earned me the right to uh, review horror fiction for Scream Magazine um, in the UK and Cemetery Dance Media online. Um, I also write listicles for um, Lit Reactor and Tor Nightfire. And I own a horror fiction subscription company with my friend who lives in the Pacific Northwest, and that is called Nightworms. That's who I am. Awesome. And below you, one of the most prolific podcasters I know, Desmond Reddick. Tell them who you are and what you do. Hello, uh, I'm Desmond Reddick. Uh, I'm a teacher, writer, podcaster and uh yeah dread media has been going we're in our 13th year uh i cover it is movie focused because that's kind of the easiest stuff to review uh but uh it is i do cover stuff from comic books to you know books without pictures and music and all sorts of stuff in the genre uh i've loved the genre since i was probably four um saw like universe I, I saw a lot of movies way too young uh but uh, you know started off with universal monsters and stuff like that and just i've loved it ever since so yeah that's me and you've been doing podcasts so long you were my first podcast interview that i ever did yeah. in my work and i i interviewed you before it was even a podcast that that first interview was a segment on another podcast so <laughs> So uh, Des and I go uh, way back and I'm super stoked to have him here. And uh, another person that I go way back with is uh, James Chambers. Uh, James, you are also a horror expert. Uh, Tell them who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a writer and editor. I've written mostly horror short fiction and novellas. 
I've written comic books and graphic novels. I've written in other genres, sci-fi, fantasy, crimes. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place as a writer, but uh, horror is where I, I call home. I always come back to horror and enjoy that the most. Um, I'm the author of On the Night Border, a collection of horror fiction. I wrote the graphic novel Kolchak, The Night Stalker, The Forgotten Lore of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which won a Bram Stoker Award. Super and jealous <laughs> of you for getting to write Kolchak. <laughs> apparently you're not the only one. A lot of people really love Kol Kolchak, which I think is fantastic, um, considering his TV show lasted one season. But, um, <laughs> and I too have been a fan of horror since... Uh, probably around the age of four when somebody made the bad decision of putting a, a beat up Tomb of Dracula comic in my hands to keep me busy for <laughs> half an hour. Nice. <laughs> James, James, I can see your collection of DC Showcase and Marvel Essentials in the background. Loving it. <laughs> I keep it in hand, close by. Yeah, absolutely. Mine's over there. <laughs> All right. And um, I'm David Agronoff. I'm going to keep my introduction a little short because if you're already a subscriber to this podcast, in case you aren't, um, I am the author of seven novels, two short story collections, nominated for the Splatterpunk Award and the Wonderland Book Award. Um, and uh, my most recent horror novel was an ecological uh, horror novel called Ring of Fire. Uh, but most of my horror books are from Deadite Press, um, the subsidiary of Eraserhead. And I've been a horror fan. Um, I, I was a little older, I was like 13, but we had a horror host in Indiana named Sammy Terry, who hosted <laughs> Spider on a String, and hosted horror movies in Indiana. And he's the reason I'm a horror nerd. Um, it's all Sammy's fault. Uh, I'm hoping to have Sammy's son who has taken up the Sammy Terry mantle and hosts movies on Facebook now. I'm hoping to have Sammy on the podcast at some point um, because Sammy Terry is the reason I am here. Uh, so Sadie, you're going to kick us off with your top five honorable mentions, although I know you plan to sneak in a lot of books um, throughout this whole thing. Well, I, well, I was going to do that. I, so I was trying to explain a little bit before we went, uh, started recording, but it's really hard for me and I feel the same way with movies like to compartmentalize um you know I feel like there's so many genres and subgenres that kind of could I could make top 10 lists out of you know multiple subgenres so it's hard for me to come to smash them into one kind of general top 10 um so what I went with were like you know some of the the big classics that then went on to like influence some of the the modern ones that I would have included. So um, I'll just do like some of the top, the top five that would have made my list, but they were influenced by the ones that did make the list. So um, one of them is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval. I feel like that is, you know, a huge, a huge uh, monument in our, in our modern horror uh, canon right now. Yeah, that was on my um, short list. Yeah, yeah. So, um, a head full of ghosts by Paul Tremblay definitely would have made the cut, but I picked yeah. its grandfather. If that gives you a clue, um, <laughs> I also think that Hell House could have easily made my list, um, and also Kill Creek, which is also a descendant of Hell House, but they're both descendants of something that did make my list, and Kill also Creek is by who um, is that Brian Smith or? Uh, it is Kill Creek. Yeah. 
Scott Thomas. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar. I haven't read that one. That's the first one you've mentioned. Yeah, I haven't either. Oh, well, yeah. Add that to your list. It's it's a fun one. Um, And then also, lastly, I would mention Brother by Anya Allborn. Um, I wanted to put that one on. Yeah, that, okay, so that one, have you read, um, has anyone read Kin by Keelan Patrick Burke? Yes. Yes. Very no, good. I have not. So I would say that Brother by Anya Alborn is a very close relative of Kin. So like, you know, a gross family hanging out in the woods that eat people kind of story. Cool. Fun family yeah. adventure. Yeah. <laughs> so those are mine. All right, Des, your honorable cool. mentions. Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, Joe R. Lansdale uh, had a novel, Night Runners. I know he's mostly known for uh, short stories, but I, I read Night, Night Runners when I was pretty young. And I think it's sort of, it was like my entry sort of into the splatterpunk style. I know he gets sort of lumped in there and I don't think it's entirely appropriate but i think with some of the stuff he does it absolutely is appropriate night runners i think is uh just a great just a great novel um next is a much uh, newer one i don't know has anyone read nicole cushing's i am the new god i've read her no. work before but not that one Fuck, yeah, read, so read good. plenty of her other books yeah it, it, i just love this book it's so uh, i don't know Indiana. she yeah, yeah, right. She does. Uh, she does nihilism and bleakness just so, so beautifully, so beautifully. And I just love that scabby, gross book of hers. Um, Poppy Z. Bright's Exquisite Corpse, which will show up again. So we will. Yeah. About, okay. We will talk right. about Exquisite Corpse later. Uh, Brian Keene's Conqueror Worms, mm-hmm. which uh, I just find to be just so much fun uh pulp horror with just a great I, it's just a great idea and I uh think that, oh. i agree with you that i think that's Keane's best concept it's my favorite of, of his concepts yeah um i'm not sure if it's my favorite execution of his but um there might be executions that i like more but i definitely think um it is his neatest concept and yeah um, it's one that i i really like so cool um and, uh, and, 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 you know, coming from where I come from, you know, there's rain 250 days a year, basically, even though the sun is blaring through my window right now. Um, it, it's, uh, I just, I, I am a pluviophile, but, uh, I, I think that book sort of, uh, um, sort of cured me of that for a little while. <laughs> and, uh, last is, a novel I only read last year or maybe the year before, uh, but it is, a, I think it's a legitimate classic. Thomas Tryon's The Other. Um, it's sort of like an early uh, entry in the mind fuck of an ending <laughs> of books. And I think maybe, maybe Harvest Home is probably more well-known by him. Another great one, folk horror. Oh, I, I see a face. <laughs> but uh, but I, something about the other just got me. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of killer kids. Like, who can kill a child and Devil Times Five and, you know, those sleazy movies where children just kill people i just love them i do so, too i love gross yeah. kids so great right yeah. <laughs> children of the corn yeah absolutely 
Um, Thomas Tryon is my um, blind spot um, as a horror and sci-fi bibliophile. I can't believe I'm, I'm right. I have books on the shelf, but for whatever reason, I've I've, I've yet to do that. So this this might uh, push me home, and we will we will obviously talk about uh, his work again. Fair, yeah. And he was uh, he was a blind spot for me, so it's why I uh, I read both of those books. I, I, I think it was two years ago, and loved them both. So I mean, you. It could be a tie with Harvest Home on my on my honorable mentions anyway. So, okay, that's, um, that's me. All right, James Chambers, your honorable mentions. All right. So first of all, I, I actually found this a little harder than I expected because as I started thinking about my top four, I realized I read a lot more short fiction and novellas than novels in the horror genre. And I, I you know I find in general that um, the, they're better vehicles for horror stories, but I do love horror novels. Um, and so I had to put this list together and I kind of want to do my runners up to the runners up because there's at least three <laughs> books I'd love to talk about, but I'll stick to the, the rules. Um, the first on my runners up list is Salem's Lot by Stephen King. And I had to keep that on here somewhere because it's the first horror novel I read. I read that in grade school uh -huh. and <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, I, I, st I still have the copy I read. It's a beat up copy with a loose cover that was in like the lost and found at the school library. And I just fished it out, read it and uh, was hooked on horror and kind of from there went into short fiction for a long time. Um, the second book, there it is. is That's copy? not the copy I have. I actually have one of the, like the black with the embossed. I love that cover. Girl. Yeah. It's, this was that's the, it. <laughs> the official uh, TV miniseries tie-in. Right, uh, yeah. Copy that uh, cool. is the same one that I read this was brand new. I mean, I bought it used, but it was it was in brand new condition when I bought it. <laughs> yeah, mine was in pretty bad shape when I got it. And if had it landed in anyone else's hands, it would probably be tatters in the trash somewhere by now. <laughs> but I'm taking good care of it. Number two, The Light at the End by John Skiff and Craig Spector. Uh, and I picked that for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a fantastic New York City novel. And I, I have a major sweet spot or soft spot for New York City books. Um, but it's also probably the best thing Skip Inspector did. And I know they had a lot of other books and they were really for a long time. Oh, David <laughs> is disagreeing with me. That I, I've I'm, read. I'm, I'm disagreeing with you too, but I love that book. That's okay. We can, we can talk. <laughs> of, the one, of their collaborations that I've read, that's my, my pick. Uh, next up is Dean's very, very out of date These, novel too. That is such a great period piece now because a lot of it, it you could not modernize that book with. No, there right. there are subway lines that are crucial to that story that no longer exist, and that's <laughs> one of the reasons I love it. Is it just works as a snapshot of New York City at that time. Uh, Demons by John Shirley is my next runner up. Um, that was a book I I had taken a break from horror for a while, and when I came back, that was what I started with, and it just electrified me for the genre again years ago. And then my top two, I think almost kind of go together. And these really came close to making my, my actual top 10 list, but I figure everybody knows them. And I'd rather focus on stuff I think maybe slipped through the cracks, but Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Dracula by Bram Stoker. And you know, if you're talking top horror novels, everything comes down the line from those in some fashion. Um, you know, They're just two of the, the greatest works uh, of, of English literature, and I, you know, I felt like we had to at least mention those. Yeah, I, right. I, I, I'm always amazed at how great 
Frankenstein is. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's a masterpiece, absolutely. Yeah, and Dracula too, because it has such a-, a Of course, yeah. It has the whole, um, you know, um, kind of uh, the letters and the, the weird structure and it's-, it's Yeah, it's a, 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 a pist- epistolary. That's a hard word for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> there are also books that I've, I've reread. I don't reread a yeah. lot of books, but I've read those each one of those many times. So I, I keep coming back to them. All right, Sadie, number 10. Well, I feel like I need to kind of like piggyback off of what James said a little bit because he brought up the novella novel criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really careful with mine. I, I want to say that some of them do border on novella. I do read a lot more novellas and short fiction as well. So novels, you know, are, are I, I have all novels, but they, they, instead of page count, I went with word count, like 34, 34K, I think, constitutes a novel. So hey, some of these are pretty short. Novel. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, it's, and it's short. Um, okay, number 10. Da, 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 da. Okay, <laughs> my number 10 is The Ruins by Scott Smith. Mm. Yeah. And the reason... Great. The reason why I picked The Ruins by Scott Smith is I feel like for a man who has two novels under his belt that I know of, I think he's done some short fiction, that book has inspired probably every like teenager going out in the woods getting hacked up or nature horror like attacking teenagers or like The Ritual, you know, by Adam Neville probably piggybacked off of that one. Um, you know, lots of nature horror books, uh, movies, you name it. I just think that uh, Scott Smith is responsible for a lot of that. So that's my number 10. That's and I love that to, book. I have to show my first edition that I got <laughs> because I scored this for a dollar at a library sale. Wow. Nice. Yeah, isn't that nice? Uh, I am personally more of a fan of uh, um, um, A Simple Plan like his first novel but i do like the ruins a lot so i i i good good pick but but talk talk about talk about batting a thousand though (laughs) guys guys got two novels and they're both fucking great yeah yeah and and also it speaks to the unlikable characters you know um we can have unlikable characters and still be just as invested because those people were bastards and we didn't care what happened to them and it was just as exciting well, yeah. and he didn't, his first novel was not a horror novel and he wrote a very good horror novel, you know, and, and he wrote a very good, like, kind of greed crime novel too. So that's pretty good trick too. Um, because some people like spend their whole lives building up to writing a masterpiece of horror, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, okay. Speaking of a masterpiece of horror, Des, you're number 10. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was nodding along to Sadie and agreeing, and actually with James as well, as, uh, as far as reading shorter fiction. I love a novella. I think it is the perfect length for horror. I love yeah, yeah, short yeah. story collections. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But th- this one is a fucking tome, and it's a slow burn. Uh, but it's, it's hard to deny the power <laughs> of Ted Klein's The Ceremonies. T-E-D Klein. With this awesome edition that has this really cool cover. Ooh, cool. Ooh. Very cool. That is Fancy. cool. Yes. Yeah, it's, it was, I, 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 I think, 
um, my introduction into cosmic horror. Although I guess I'd, I guess I'd read some Lovecraft before I read the ceremonies. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's got this slow creep, and I love. I mean, I, I think like almost every pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess almost every pick that I have sort of um, is so it informs the way I write or the things I like to write. I think and um, and the ceremonies was something that that impacted me greatly when I read it. Like, now this this is interesting coming right after Scott Smith because we made a big deal about him only having two novels. Well, TV right. line, that's it. One. Wow! Yeah, he has a novella collection. And he has this freaking masterpiece of cosmic horror, and and he was donezo. Yeah, he, like he never came back. And G- fucking grand slam in his first at bat, and then retires. <laughs> exactly. And uh, for people who don't know T.E.D. Klein, he um, was the editor of Twilight Zone magazine throughout the eighties. Right. Yeah. So he made a lot of waves as as, as an editor. But, and he had a novella collection, four novella collection called Dark Gods, which is also amazing. And I had a general rule that when I was in a used bookstore, if I saw either T.E.D. Klein book, I just bought it. And so <laughs> I have like multiple copies. <laughs> so I just give it away to friends. Like, and, and I had one, this is the one I protect. And then I have one that I read. <laughs> Do you have one that you keep under your pillow at night? No. <laughs> I, I like it. But not, but it's not even on my list, which is funny. It didn't make my oh, top wild, 10, yeah. But I do love it. Um, so, James, you're number ten. So yeah, I think I'm. The, I'm going to be throwing the curveball uh, here. My number ten is the Secret Life of Souls by Jack Ketchum and Lucky McKee. I'm reading that right now. Good. You, more people should read it, and that's why I picked it. Uh, you know, I, I was looking at the books on my shelf, and I realized, yeah, okay, Jack Ketchum has written some powerful stuff and a lot i do know a lot of readers who find him inaccessible because he is so dark um they just can't make the journey in some of his books and this is one where he's not asking you to suffer through some of the stuff that he typically does and yet at the same time it really beautifully delineates all of the the themes that you'd find in other books by jack ketchum and it's a really deceptive book. It, it seems like it's three different books by the time you finish it because he's doing literary sleight of hand throughout, misdirecting you, and then it's a sudden change of direction that is perfectly logical from what he's established so far, what he and Lucky established so far. So I, I put that on there because it really, uh, it's a book that since I read it, it came out maybe four years ago. It came out not too long before uh, Jack pa- passed away. It may have been his last novel. I know he had a collection come out um, after it, Gorilla in My Room. But um, and, and for a recent book, it's one that I keep looking back to for sort of uh, taking my cues from how to write a really suspenseful and unexpected horror novel. Uh, and I think a lot of people should read it. And I don't think it got to do it deserves when it came out. So there you have it. That, I just that, realized I fucked up our order because I didn't do my honorable mentions. <laughs> oh. Let's see how good I get at editing if I can move it back in. I'm not as good at De- as Des is at editing. Um, so, okay. Uh, Too kind. I, I have not read number number 10. 
of yours, James. Um, but I am a Jack Ketchum reader, and so that will be added to my list. A really quick addition to that. Um, I've been critical of the Ketchum-McKee collaborations before, uh, but I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm about halfway through that book, and it's it's beautiful prose. Like, it's just magical. It's just gorgeous. Like, it reads like early Barker to me. Mm, that sounds great. All right, so I'm sorry, everyone. I messed up our order, and I'm going <laughs> to give my I'm going to give my honorable mentions before I give my number ten. Shame. <laughs> okay, my first honorable mention is Perfect Union by Cody Goodfellow. Um, this was um, on my uh, top ten list for many years, and it got bumped by a few newer ones. And I apologize, Cody, but it's still getting an honorable mention. Um, it, it's somewhat kind of personal bias because I was friends with and living in the same town with Cody when he wrote it. And I remember, um, hanging out with him and saying, what are you working on Cody? And he said, a haunted house novel with bees who turn you into communists. <laughs> and like, that was so insane that like, from the minute he started, he, he told me that I was like, okay, I got to read this book. It is Cronenberg body horror, insane, weird redneck haunted house mind fuckery it is a totally bananas bizarro horror book i love perfect union speaking of weird horror because that's what apparently is in my honorable mentions is uh last days by brian evanson which is a book about a cop who infiltrates a mutilation cult <laughs> um, and that is a really weird and great fucked up book. Uh, Brian is a master of horror short fiction, but um, that is, uh, and my, my favorite of his novels is Immobility, but that's science fiction more than horror. Um, and uh, The Shining by Stephen King is on my list because it is um, the first horror novel that ever freaked me out. And um, I am a believer in the novel, not the movie. I'm not a fan of the movie. I'm a fan of the novel. I just want to get that out there. Um, Amen. Yeah, and uh, that book is the first book to ever really freak me out because I'm terrified by isolation. And uh, when you read it, I read it as an adult, then the parenting thing and the alcoholism scared me in a totally different way. Um, this might be a cheat because this is considered a science fiction novel, but I believe it is every bit as much of a horror novel. And that's The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge by mm -hmm. Philip K. Dick. Um, that is an absolutely terrifying book. Um, it is about um, uh, an acid trip gone bad, <laughs> um, but it is also about insane, dark, cosmic, weird gods, um, time being meaningless. It's about the horrors of living on a planet that doesn't support your life um, <laughs> in Mars. And um, it is a absolutely horrifying book and it is his masterpiece. And I do a podcast about Philip K. Dick, so I'm gonna cheat and put it in there. Um, uh, and then another science fiction novel that I think is equally horror is Kindred by Octavia Butler. And that's my last pick. Um, it's a person, a wo woman of color gets sent back to the antebellum South through reasons um, that don't really matter. Um, but, uh, this is an absolutely brutal and terrifying novel and Octavia Butler could write the shit out of dread, horror, and 
just awfulness. Um, known as a science fiction writer, she is a hell of a horror writer as well. So that's the end of my honorable mentions. Um, number 10 on my list, and I'm sorry I've talked for so long because of that. Uh, number 10 is A Matter of Blood by Sarah Pinborough. And this is the first of a trilogy which was released in England as the Dog-Faced Gods trilogy, um, which is more than just a testament song. It's also the name of her trilogy. Um, but it was released here as the Forgotten Gods. And the, the first book, A Matter of Blood, is a grim and insane dystopia about the economic collapse of Britain that also has one of the weirdest and most fucked up serial killers ever in a book. Um, and it is completely unsettling and a great setup for an entire trilogy that's really awesome. Sarah is, I think, one of the best writers in the genre and she's kind of left the genre to write these like insanely awesome thrillers. And she's had an amazing success and I root for her on like such an amazing level because she got started in our genre. Um, and I love A Matter of Blood by Sarah Pinborough. So Sadie, number nine. Okay, so my number nine is a 2020 release that has not come out yet. It actually drops in October. So it's the perfect oh. time to talk about this book because you need to buy it. Everybody needs to buy it. Um, it is called Ring Shout, and it is by P. DeJelly Clark. If you don't think that's horror, get a close-up of that KKK guy with mouths in his eyes, okay? And it could borderline be considered dark fantasy, um, but I think it's horror all the way. There were scenes in that book that terrified me to my core. Um, I can't stop thinking about it. It clocks in at a little over 200 pages, I think and it starts off running and it doesn't stop the entire time. So plug for that book, that's my number nine. I've read his novella, The Black God's Drum, I think it's called, yeah, it was very good. Was that under another name or was that his P. DeJelly Clark name? No, it's under P. DeJelly Clark. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, I'll write that down. Yeah, and that's kind of steampunky, but it's very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, great action adventure afro-futuristic kind of thing yeah uh, and that this one has that too but it also has some lbgtq themes which i think are really uh you know pertinent for for people to see themselves in modern horror um and a full cast of women and all the women are badasses so mm -hmm. goes for that too just added it to my list <laughs> I'm, gonna right. be, I'm gonna be a busy boy yeah <laughs> uh desmond you're number nine yeah, uh, my number nine is a newer book by uh, an author that we sadly lost far too young, Michael Lewis Calvillo. Uh, I believe he actually passed away before this book was released. Uh, it's called Lambs. Mm -hmm. And it's about a boy uh, named Arthur who is... Um, a student slash inmate at a at a school slash prison for um, uh, for troubled kids, and uh, his uh, roommate is like a really fucked up pyromaniac, and he meets a girl 
who may or may not be grooming him to be his first or her first uh, satanic sacrifice. And also he sees ghosts. Uh, he is haunted by three uh, ghosts of teenage boys. It's uh, dark, brutal, uh, powerful, and the the voice is just amazing in this book. Can you say the author one more time? Michael Lewis Calvillo, C-A-L-V-I-L-L-O. He's got another one. Uh, oh God, I was gonna, I was just gonna try and name it, but I think I, I am risen. Is that what it's called? That was definitely published posthumously. But uh, yeah, uh, sad story. But he left us with uh, some pretty damn good books. So, all right, um, James, your number nine, one I'm a fan of too. Yeah, my number nine is The Castle of Los Angeles by Lisa Morton. And it's a really tremendous modern urban gothic story uh, that blends horror and creativity and the arts. Uh, and it's about a woman who is taking over a building in Los Angeles called The Castle, uh, where she, they stage uh, plays and it's also sort of an artist's residence. And she gets involved with various personalities uh, and in the course of researching her project, she befriends a young, uh, young woman who's a prostitute and starts to learn uh, <clears throat> more about her and her life uh, as part of her research, which is something she has misgivings about as the story progresses. And it's really just um, a, a brilliant atmospheric piece of writing. It builds up uh, early on a sense of things being off kilter, of dread being behind the scenes and it, it sustains that through to the end. Um, and I, you know, I think it was the first thing I read by Lisa and it just made me a fan. So, you know, for life and now I, I look for everything she does. Yeah, um, Lisa's very <laughs> underrated. This book is very underrated. Um, it's, uh, it has like this really interesting kind of history of the LA um, theater underground that's kind of mixed into it. And it's one of the, whenever you write a haunted anything, you have to come up with a really good reason why the person wouldn't leave, <laughs> just get out of there. And um, the Castle of Los Angeles has one of the best answers for that. Um, it's one of the things that makes it very strong. And uh, yeah, I agree. It's really good work, very underrated. Good pick. Um, and my number nine, James, are you ready for me to go? Like, are you done? Oh, please, please, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number nine was one of Dez's honorable mentions, and that is Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright. Um, Exquisite Corpse is one of the nastiest, gnarliest, grossest books ever conceived. Um, if you are not disgusted by any part of it, uh, or, or not disgusted by some of it, there's something wrong with you. But it's <laughs> There is a very strange love story at the heart of Exquisite Corpse that makes you feel really uncomfortable because like it's working in some weird way. Um, so Exquisite Corpse is basically a love story between two serial killers. And, but it also does an amazing job of making you feel for their victim. And at the same time, like just the, the, the level of uncomfort you feel reading this book is something that has never, I've read it twice. And even the second time I was just like, 
what the fuck as I'm reading it. Um, and there's very few books that have ever left me feeling that scarred. So um, Exquisite Course by Poppy Z. Bright. Des, I, it was one of your honorable mentions. Do you want to say anything else about it? Yeah, I, the first time I read that book, I was nine. <laughs> what? what the hell? That is not a book for a nine-year-old. <laughs> I know, I know. I uh, actually, I, I, funnily enough, um, very, very quick story. Uh, Billy Martin um, sells New Orleans themed stuff on eBay. And Billy Martin is Poppy Z Bright, for right. those that don't know. Uh, and I bought a palmistry set. It's like a porcelain hand with all the lines on it and a little book that tells you how to read it for my girlfriend's witchy daughter's birthday and uh, gave it, gave it to her and she loved it. And then I messaged Billy and I said, Hey, Billy, um, I bought that set from you a little while ago, gave it to my girlfriend's daughter and she loved it. So thank you very much. And then I said, also, I'm a fan from way back, like two way back. Uh, I was way too young when I read Exquisite Corpse and uh, Billy was uh, excited about that. So a, a, a twisted, gross thing that again, it, it, it shaped this horrible thing up here. <laughs> yeah. that, that was a tough read when I was an adult. I can't imagine. That. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So um, Sadie, your number eight is my number eight. So introduce it but we'll come we'll talk about it when we get back to me so okay okay eight. so my number eight is bird box by josh mallerman oh. all right that is also my number eight so when we come back around to me we'll talk about that and i'll give you another chance to talk about it desmond your number eight yeah so my number eight came to me um <clears throat> on my podcast uh, i'd interviewed uh greg lamberson uh several times and he he got me in contact with this author and he said, Hey, uh, this guy wants to come on the show and, um, and he wants to ch chat and Jeff Strand, uh, who I met shortly thereafter, uh, sent me this book in the mail and, uh, this book fucking devastated me. Uh, easily it easily the first time i read it climbed to my top 10 and uh it's pressure and it's a story about uh, uh i don't know it's, it's it's i don't know if jeff's ever experienced it but it feels super personal and it's personal to my life as well and it's just about again <laughs> it's about boys in boarding school in some aspect um but uh it's about this guy who meets somebody in boarding school who is uh, quite probably a very bad influence on him. And then they run into each other again at like the college age. <clears throat> and uh, Alex, I think is the main character's name. And it's Dar Darren is, is the other character. Uh, and so Alex then sort of realizes, holy shit, this guy's messed up. I, I can't have anything to do with this guy. And then the third timeline is when he's older, married, wife and a kid, and then Darren comes back. And uh, Darren is a full-blown fucking psychopath. And it's, 
it's it's just so like haunting and uh, uh, bleak and brutal that it's actually shocking that the guy who wrote the severed nose and Benjamin's parasite and all these other great funny horror novels wrote what I consider to be one of the most intimidatingly bleak and brutal horror novels that I've ever read. So Jeff Strand's pressure is my number eight. And he has a new book coming out too yep. this month. He's always got books. Yeah, coming out. But, I, but I'm like really excited for this one because it's, it's like, it says fall in the title or autumn or something. So right. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm behind on my on my strand reading because he he releases so many books, but uh, <laughs> I need I need to catch up on that. <laughs> James, I pressure too. Yeah, I I I just want to second pressure and just comment that for Jeff for being known so much for comedic horror, he really when he when he goes dark, he goes very dark. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. I, I I think pressure may have been the first book that ever made me cry. Like not just like shed a tear, but like weep. Yeah, and yeah, and it, it is touching too. He he's done that to me a couple times. Uh, the, the, the touching story of a serial killer and his dog, you know, like that that got to me too. But uh, yeah, it's just it's so good. It's so good. And also, like yeah, read Benjamin's Parasite, read Cyclops Road, read read all these fucking great books that he's got. Okay, pressure, pressure is the one that made the list. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I broke the routine. My apologies. Sorry. I ate it and abetted his breaking the routine there. Uh, my number eight is Suffer the Children by Craig DeLuey. Oh, that's a good, good. one. Good, such a good pick. It's, yeah. And, and that one. Do, Craig DeLuey's on my list to discover soon. Mm. Craig, Craig DeLuey is, um, you know, like the best kept secret in horror right now. I don't think enough people are reading him. Uh, this is a fantastic book about, it takes a pretty familiar horror trope, which is that there's a disease that starts killing children. And the, the side effect is that they come back to life after perishing, but they're essentially vampires. And the trick of the book is that it doesn't really focus on the horror of the, the I guess, the vampire children, but on the horror of a society and of parents in particular grappling with how do I parent a monster? And what would I do to keep my children alive, even if that requires feeding mm-hmm. them blood? Um, and, it, and it just goes from there. And it's, it's a very dark book, um, but it's, it's a page turner. It's really well written and well paced. And uh, I do think uh, Craig deserves a wider audience in general. His book coming out this fall, Children of Red Peak, is a fantastic read. I'll sneak in an extra plug. Yeah. Um, I have, have a, you read I have, it? Well, I have a review coming out in Scream Magazine for oh. the, the October-November issue, so... Awesome. Yeah, thumbs up. One. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's folk horror. So if you like like culty folk, uh, religious horror, that would be your jam. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some of the children's in a different direction, but it's, um, it's a powerful book. Well, that sounds like totally my jam. I'm definitely reading that one. So, uh, so uh, Sadie, uh, our number eight, uh, when yes, she's Bird Box. <laughs> yeah. When she's well, I chose Bird Box because I had heard about it so like it's buzz kind of preceded itself a lot of people that I consider to be really avid horror readers like my mom and my brother-in-law were kind of singing its praises so I brought it with me on a vacation and I binge read it I couldn't put it down it has like this taut tension that kind of never goes away 
Um, and the only way to like relieve it would be to put it down, which you can't do. So you just kind of hang in there with it. Um, the protagonist also really kind of reminded me of myself. Um, she isn't super strong, which I appreciated. She's a little bit flawed and weak and kind of self-centered. And then in the, in like the worst way imaginable in an apocalyptic situation where every, like the shit is just hitting the fan, she's pregnant, which is like the worst, absolutely worst nightmare of all time. Like I cannot imagine being blindfolded, being pregnant, and then having to anticipate giving birth to a child with your eyes closed, and then, like, not letting the child, like, open their eyes either. So, yeah, kind of the biggest nightmare story of all time. Yeah, um, I think because Bird Box became such a phenomenon, it'd be easy to, like, dismiss it, like, I think just because, like, it's that whole thing of once Rage Against the Machine became popular, it was, like, not cool to like Rage Against the Machine anymore. I and hate then, that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, Mallerman is real. The dude is talented. The dude yeah. knows how to write suspense. He, uh, that book um, was, and, and I talked, I did a two hour interview with him. So anyone goes back on, if you're new to the, if you came first to, to this episode through any of these folks, uh, go back in my feed. Um, I did a two-hour interview with Mallerman about Bird Box and Mallory. I'm very proud of that interview. Um, I think there's a lot of really good details. If you've read those books, for sure listen to them because there's a lot of good tips for writers. But to me, um, the difference between Bird Box the movie and Bird Box the book is the exact reason why Bird Box is on my top 10 list, which is when you, I read the book totally cold. I didn't know anything about it. I just, at the World Horror Convention in 2014, Josh was just giving away copies. Mm -hmm. So there were books, there were bird boxes everywhere. And I didn't know that he gave them away until I did the interview with him a couple of weeks ago. So I just assumed like, whoa, this book is insane. Everyone's buying it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So when I find- Weren't, weren't you with me when he gave it to me? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Okay, maybe but, not. <laughs> Sorry. But because he gave it away to everyone, everyone was holding it, so I wanted to see what all the hype was about. And when I read it, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything about the plot, anything. And the first 70 pages, if you don't know anything about the plot, is a very different experience from, for example, the movie, where you know the monsters are real almost from the beginning. And the, when you read the book, the first 70 pages, you just think Mallory is nuts and she's a child abuser and she's doing this awful thing to those kids. And um, for that reason, it makes it a completely different and paranoid experience. And for that reason, I think uh, Bird Box lives up to the hype. It, it is everything everyone said it is. It's, it's a masterpiece of horror. And I don't give a shit if it became like a meme all over the world. It became a meme because the shit is good because it is good. It is a good fucking horror novel. And I'm <laughs> third box to the end, it deserves to be on the list. All right, Sadie, you're number seven. It's hilarious. Um, okay, my number seven is also a 2020 release and it is The Only Good Indians um, uh. by Stephen Graham Jones. Stephen Graham Jones, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let the weight <laughs> of his name for just a second thinking this man is modern horror like his storytelling voice is wicked sharp I mean you fall into this into this novel head first like 
I don't know what happened to me, but I kind of fall in love really hard. And in this book, I fell in love really hard. And then Stephen Graham Jones just drips you bare. Like you, he just trashes your emotions. And I love that about horror. Like give me something to feel, give me something to get distracted. And that's exactly what this book does. Like you get invested in the story of this Indian, this Blackfoot Indian and his context and his world. And, and then you just don't breathe for the rest of the novel. Um, it's kind of revenge story slash other things going on. And so I don't want to give anything away really because it's a brand new book. But if you haven't read it, if you haven't bought it, like this is modern horror right now for me. We've all four read this. Do we all four agree this is a freaking masterpiece? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, spoiling my end of the year episode. I think it's probably my number one of the year. Wow. Definitely. I mean, not probably. It's definitely my number one of the year. Yeah. And that's, that's, one of those, anyway. that's saying something because we've had some serious masterpieces this year. Uh, Mallory is incredible. Uh, mm -hmm. Survivor Song is incredible. Um, I'm hearing great things about The Loop. I haven't read it yet. I'm super jealous of you, Sadie. Don't even yeah. talk about it. <laughs> I won't say a word. <laughs> um, uh, I've known Jeremy for years. I should have gotten a copy. But anyway, <laughs> um, this, this year has had all kinds of incredible uh, Mexican Gothic by Silvia yeah. and Marina Garcia. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. The list goes on and on. The list goes yeah. on and on. This year has like been shit for the world, but it's been great for horror novels. And, and Only Good Indians is a freaking masterpiece. And yes, again, I just interviewed Steven. And so that's on the feed. I'm also quite a fan of that interview. Um, and what's amazing is this, this novel is a masterpiece. And it started with Stephen Graham Jones saying, oh, I'd love to write a Friday the 13th novel, but I can't write about Jason. So let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, really what said. that's so yeah, weird because that's, that's <laughs> so much more than that yeah really <laughs> but that's what he said he started with as interesting as, yeah and that and a very philip k dick experience where he's talking about how he was looking through the fan and anyone who's read that knows where that leads to but yeah only good indians absolutely will be probably at this point unless something comes screaming out of nowhere so far, it's my number one read of the year. Yeah, I, I read that maybe mid-August. And just, I mean, as recently as this weekend, images from that book just popped into my head. Yeah. I'm really thinking the shit out of that book. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and that's that's a book that I got from the library, but I'm definitely going to go and buy it because I'm going to read it again yeah. and again. And he's yeah. one of the hardest working authors in the industry. If you follow him on his social media, like he is doing interviews and he is on Zoom calls and he is writing his ass off. Not only does he have that, but he had the 50 foot Indian come out. He had Night of the Mannequins come out all, and, it's, and it's all good. Like there, there's just nothing to say about Stephen Graham Jones that isn't amazing. Like the man is amazing. I don't I don't buy much in the way of hardcovers anymore just based on price. You guys are all in the states. Uh Canadian cover prices on books are ridiculous and unfair <laughs> in regards to the exchange rate uh in in all cases but hardcovers more so. Uh I still I bought it on a on a trip to a bigger town a couple months ago and I I have zero regrets cuz it's it's fucking stupendous it's so good yeah so des your number eight is also a brutal piace of work what it is number seven? Oh, seven, my seven. seven yeah sorry uh seven. and and no one else has this on their list okay 
<laughs> it was on my list from 2013. Okay, fair. Uh, yeah, uh, we've we've mentioned Jack Ketchum before. Um, uh, uh, maybe the toughest read I've ever had is uh, The Girl Next Door. Yeah. It sort of began his uh, descent into really nasty, essentially true novelizations of true crime. Uh, um, and uh, it's it remains his most affecting for me. Um, it's not a, it's not really one to go back and reread, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, holy shit. I, I I'm sort of like shuddering, just sort of like recalling it. And you know, it it begins with the question, you know, like like uh, what's the worst thing you ever did? And uh, and to have the voice of this narrator um, and. Uh, have this sort of like shattered innocence of childhood depicted over 300 and something pages is just, uh, it's harrowing, I guess is probably the best word to describe this book. Yeah. I had to dip out of that one. I, I don't, I don't blame you. It's fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Did you read, read that one at age 10? no i came to that one actually i read uh, i read off season very young i was probably 12 when i read off season i i i got off season uh like with the cover torn off uh at at a at a u at a used bookstore like for free the guy i can't sell this here (laughs) give it to a 12 12 12 year old Uh, i i read uh, i read uh i read the girl next door i think i was like 19 or 20 so even still, it crushed me. Absolutely crushed me. All right, James, number seven. Uh, my pick for number seven is The Accursed by Joyce Carol Oates. Mm. I stumbled across this book um, without knowing anything about it. And I forget exactly how I, I discovered it, but I, and I read the ebook version, which is, which is relevant because I intend to go back and read the print edition because there are footnotes. And the footnotes didn't play well in the ebook version, but well enough that I can understand it. This is uh, historical horror fiction at its absolute finest, in my opinion. It takes place at uh, Princeton University, or in and around Princeton, uh, during the time Woodrow Wilson was the president of Princeton University. It involves numerous historical figures, political figures. Uh, Jack London shows up, Upton Sinclair shows up. And it weaves all of this history into a really bizarre dark story of of the supernatural and sort of vampirism and this alternate um, world almost that exists uh, in this location ruled by sort of the bog king I think he was called and it just gets deeper and deeper into both the horror and the history and weirder as it goes and it you know casts a very cold eye on these historical figures they are presented warts and all um they're not you know not nice people not nice people they're you know she's certainly not writing hagiographies about them in this book and it just blew me away and drew me into sort of this alternate reality so deeply that i you know i can almost not divorce that version of the of the uh the, the historical stuff from the real history it's it's a it's a wonderful book, and I, I just found out I didn't know this either. I was looking up some information about it. 
uh, that it's part of a cycle. It's it's like the third or fourth book in a cycle that she's writing or has written. So I, I now have those other books to go find and, and look forward to. All right. So cool. um, yeah, I like Joyce Carol Oates too. I liked her time travel book from last year. It was great. And um, so my number seven and number six were both ruined by horrible adaptations into movies. Um, unfortunately, but we're only going to talk about seven now, but my number seven was ruined by not just one movie, but two movies, because there was a movie that kind of ripped off the idea so much so that when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought it was an adaptation of this novel. Ah, uh, you know what? <laughs> right. I think so. <laughs> Silence by Tim LeBon. Right. Number seven. And yes, the, the Netflix movie, no offense, Tim, the Netflix movie is god awful. It's a terrible adaptation. I haven't seen it. It's fucking really bad. It's and not great. And Stanley Tucci is like the coolest guy ever, but it's not great. It's not great. Yeah. And um, when I saw the Quiet Place trailer, because I knew there was a movie in production of The Silence, I was just like, oh, when did they get Emily Blunt? I didn't hear about that. <laughs> uh, Quiet Place is basically the same idea. And um, I read The Silence before the movies, and The Silence is an incredible horror novel. It's Tim working on all cylinders. He just perfectly builds the suspense and uses the high concept apocalypse of the creatures who hunt by sound in a way that um, I think outdoes A Quiet Place or the movie of The Silence. There's a chapter that um, rivals I Am Legend for horror involving a dog. Um, and um, the movie so gets that scene wrong that I almost <laughs> threw something at my TV when I was watching it because I was so <laughs> mad because that scene is one of the most terrifying scenes that as, as a dog person that I've read in a long time, like I literally was like squeezing the book and not wanting to turn the page because of what was coming and I knew it was coming and I knew it was coming 40 pages ahead of time. <laughs> and I was pissed off when I got there and Tim fucking perfectly did that and the movie got it totally Jesus. wrong on every single level. They, they did it wrong, didn't understand what they were doing at all. And when, when that came out, David, people were posting that they were turning it off at that scene with the dog. Oh. People posting had to stop this one when they got to the dog. They, scene. Didn't, they didn't even do it as well. The book is 10 times more incredible with the suspense and the buildup. And I love the silence. I think it's a masterpiece. I hate the movie because I think it totally got it wrong, which is the same thing I can say about number six when I get there. Um, but, um, yeah, Tim LeBon's The Silence. It's great. Just just read the book and forget everything about Quiet Place and all of it. Just read the book. It's great. Um, Sadie, number six. So my number six is Swan Song. And I'm going to go with an um... Uh, what? What? We'll what is it? it? Later, so we'll come back to... Some... Oh, somebody else has it as number six? No, somebody else has it. At, we at, Two of us have it as number three. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll talk about I know who that is. <laughs> Sorry, Sadie. No worries. <laughs> your number six. My number six uh, is a book I didn't know that I liked this much until I started putting this list together. And 
I think uh, David and I talked uh, when I was about five or six revisions into my list when I had 19 novels. Uh, and you just like trying to eliminate them one by one, I, I had no ability to eliminate this one. Uh, it's a newer novel by Jessica McHugh, and it's, I guess it's a horror erotica novel called A Train Derails in Boston. It's just, it's, the, <laughs> the lead character is a horrible person. Um, she hates her husband. Uh, she thinks her uh, teenage daughter's a slut. Uh, she, the guy she's cheating on her husband with, she also doesn't really like him very much. She's just this, and yet she's like a unrepentant alcoholic, and she just she's just a horrible person. But Jessica writes her so uh, endearingly that it's hard not to sort of get, I won't say get behind her. It's hard not to uh, follow her along and sort of like love her as a character when she finds these Mahjong tiles that may be haunted. And uh, well, I, I think uh, uh, Jessica may have said it best when I interviewed her and it's, 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 it's ghost fucking. It's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intensely weird novel. Uh, it's shocking. It's sexy. It's gross. It's uh, yeah. It's just, uh, it's sleazy. I, I just love it. It's so good. All right, James, you're number six. My number six is Harvest Home by Thomas Tryon. And I'm really glad that um, both Harvest Home and the others got a mention here. I think Thomas Tryon sort of slips through the cracks of horror history. But Harvest Home um, is uh, sort of the paradigm of folk horror in a way. Uh, you know, if you, if you read Harvest Home and you read The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, uh, there's not much left for you to discover in this vein of folk horror. It's essentially that the family moves out to the country. The country uh, people seem great. The country way of life seems great, but they've got some strange rituals and habits and customs. And slowly the, the town, the society that they move into overtakes the family and starts to draw the family into their way of life. And their way of life is, is you know, not as, as pleasant as it seems on the surface. And uh, I think, you know, the less I say about it, the better, because it really is, um, it's a book that works really on the, uh, the development of its characters and the interactions and the things that pull these people apart and bring them together. And it's a great read. Yeah, sold. Hell yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I love folk horror. Um, all right, so my number six, and I'll try to go as quickly as I can, also made into a horrible fucking movie. Is the keep by Ellen. ah right <laughs> terrible terrible movie an incredible horror novel um, this this novel is not only just a classic of gothic horror but it is a classic of misdirection and plotting for for writers um, Paul makes you think this is three different books by the time you're at the end of it oh it's a vampire novel no uh, it's a haunted house <laughs> novel no. It's not <laughs> those things. It's many other things, but it, it, it's a classic of misdirection. Also, it's the first book of a series of six books called The Adversary Cycle. Oh, wait, it's not just the first <laughs> book. 
of six. It's also the first book of two different series that <laughs> in book six of one series and book 15 of another series, but it's the what? first book. Yes. You're nerding out a little bit. <laughs> I am nerding out a lot. But um, The Keep, incredible, incredible horror novel. Uh, That's terrible. a great one. Yeah. At F. F. Paul Wilson is a master mythology uh, just a pure master of mythology with the adversary cycle and uh and repairman jack it's just amazing and, and the yeah. film was michael mann right so you would have expected much better yeah but it was yeah. early in his career and look okay. yeah and here's the other thing too is that the story that starts in the keep ends up by the end of this the two different series being as elaborate as the dark tower but mm -hmm. you know <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah. Anyways, um, Sadie, you're number five. Okay. My number five is Dracula. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay this at all just because we, you know, talked about it in the honorable mention, but I'm sorry. You know, I missed that. That's my fault. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those books that just kind of like, I've read it a ton of times and I read it when I was a kid. And I think a lot of people probably read that book when they were in high school or, you know, maybe, you know, they read it for a book report or something. Um, and then maybe they've seen like different adaptations of Bram Stoker's Dracula, for instance, or whatever. Like it, it still is classic. It still is the, you know, grandpappy of all other vampire novels to come afterwards. It kind of set the tone. It set the standard. It's the lore, you know, like when people deviate from the lore and from the canon of Dracula, we're always kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it is, it, it, it deserved to be on my list. I, I wanted to replace it with a couple other things. And I just couldn't do it. Understood. Des, you're number five. Uh, yeah, my number five, uh, I'd read a couple books by this author before I read it. Um, read this shortly before interviewing him. Uh, another author who sadly passed away too young, uh, J.F. Gonzalez's Primitive. Um, it's got a very uh, sort of typical plot for like a novel, or sorry, a novel, for a zombie novel. And, uh, but instead of zombies, it's just sort of like the mass of people devolve into like caveman tendencies and like civilization drops out and it's just about a man and his family and the people that they meet trying to make it through this weird new world that, um, may also include ancient dead gods and uh and lots of uh mean naked hairy people running after him <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's just so great and it's it's another one of those that like influences influences a lot of what i write james your number five my number five is another piece of historical horror fiction i, I discovered making this list that i have a I'm, I'm, I guess I, I have a taste for historical horror fiction. It's The Stress of Her Regard by Tim Powers. And oh. it's uh, essentially a vampire novel, but it goes way beyond that. And it, the main characters are Byron and Shelley and Keats and uh, various other historical figures um, that ran in their circles. Polidori is in it. 
um, you know, we're all familiar with them because of the stories about the, uh, the Via Diodati and how Frankenstein was written. And uh, this goes way beyond that into um, sort of where creativity and sacrifice meet and where immortality and I guess um, creativity kind of connect as well. And the vampires in this are, so, well, will pose as muses in a way, and they latch on to somebody with a creative spirit. And there's a price for what they give you. So in, in essence, they're giving you the, uh, the ability, the inspiration to produce work that will last forever. Um, but you're going to pay for that in various ways, whether you die young or the people around you die or various other things. And there's a lot more to it, to the mechanics of it. It's, it's beautifully written. It's really well researched. And it's about how uh, they try to break away from the hold of these creatures. And it, um, it goes into a lot of unexpected places. And again, I, you know, so the, the, the alternate history here is so well created and so well rendered that I almost prefer that to, to the real history. Well, my number five will have to come back to at number two because somebody has it at number two. But speaking of vampires. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. <clears throat> we will come back to at number two. So Sadie, your, let's see, number four. Four, number four. Okay, so this might be a cheat and you guys can determine what if you think it, fits but for me personally I chose um, Come Closer by Sarah Gran um, because it deals with demonic themes um, it deals with psychological horror um, I think the marketing of horror has changed significantly and women can now kind of you know write uh, under the horror umbrella but I think earlier in the 2000s and in the you know 1990s and stuff like that i think most women were marketed as thriller authors and so this might have fallen under the umbrella of a thriller but it's horror i mean i was i was like you said gripping the book like you know terrified and then i also started thinking am i possessed <laughs> because <laughs> there's kind of a checklist in here like oh she she's kind of making she 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 finds some, or she i'm not going to say um, it's a really short read, bingy read, and yeah, you'll feel kind of nuts after you read it. Well, I think it counts. I'm all for expanding the, the horror instead of narrowing it, so. Well, also, you guys can totally own me on all these classic horror, because I kind of, I kind of went, my horror was really, really, you know, mainstream for a really long time, and then I didn't read all of these, like, paperback, pulpy kind of things, so, you know, you, you guys have all, I've been writing it down, like all the books that you guys have been recommending. Like, I mean, I've got a list. Well, that's the <laughs> idea. We that's want, good. We want yeah. all the to do that too. Des, you're number four. We're at four, right? Well, yeah, we're at number four. Uh, I've, I've got a list of 11 books going so far just from this podcast. So that's awesome. <laughs> uh, my number four is an author who was a blind spot for me for quite a while. Uh, have been diving into it in the past. The blind spot. The blind. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> it, no, it, it's a good joke. <laughs> um, it. I. I kind of felt like he. 
I don't know. I, I think I sort of prejudged him as sort of a one trick pony. Um, but man, have I really loved reading Bentley little these past say four years. And I mean, he's got so many great, he does this bizarre. Yeah, I guess he, there's like bizarro elements to Bentley little, I think. And then also just like sort of deranged, depraved satire that he's famous for. And I mean, I could pick a couple books, but I think the one that affects me most is the mailman, which uh, the main character is a teacher. It's the first day of summer. He's got a list of things that he needs to do from his wife, uh, building a shed or whatever. And uh, it just so happens that the towns, the small towns mailman uh, committed suicide. And his replacement is this, weirdo this pale weirdo with like bright orange hair and all these letters start getting delivered to people throughout the town um with their deepest darkest secrets and their um dave just gave me the (laughs) keep going and that and that i don't know if i can keep going uh but (laughs) but he delivers this mail um i mean like some of it's like shocking, uh, you, you know, like somebody's brother uh, who was in Vietnam. Um, he gets he gets letters from this person who's clearly been dead for ages, but it contains you know like Polaroids of the horrible things that they did when they are in Vietnam. Just pure uh, insidious brutality. Um, and it's really, again, it just about this small town that descends into complete and utter horror chaos because oh, of this God. one figure. That descends into chaos? Yes. That, would, that sounds somewhat similar to James number four. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Darkness Waiting by John Shirley. Uh, I'll try to keep this short. Um, it was tough for me to not include more John Shirley on this list because he does what I hope to do as a horror writer, which is write beautifully about ugly things. And books like Sellers uh, and um, there was another one I had on my list. I'm blanking on which one it was at the moment. Oh, Wet Bones. Um, I had to cut. And I, I kept in darkness waiting because you. you got. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew figured, you'd I have the other thing. I figured David might have some of those too. <laughs> Um, in Darkness Waiting for me is sort of the um, the perfect example of what horror should have was, was trying to be the best of what horror could be in the 80s and 90s. And, and it's about a town where there's an evil sort of entity that takes pe- takes over people uh, in it by the by way of these jumbo flies that burrow into their brains and control them and turn them to darkness. And it's about one of the central themes, I think, in John Shirley's work, but also one that a lot of horror writers grapple with, which is about dehumanizing others uh, and how, you know, people or even, I guess, supernatural things can be capable of such horrors because they, they strip their victims of their humanity. And Shirley manages to flip that into a whole broad, um, explosive ending uh, that just kind of shades the entire spectrum of world events at that time that this edition was published and he mentioned in his introduction or afterward that he'd rewritten part of that 
because when the first it was first published, different things were going on in the world, and so he'd updated it somewhat, and it had only gotten darker. Um, so that's that's for me, it's uh, really a touchstone in horror. Yeah, it's a really great look at um, how violence um, kind of like takes over our brains and in these like weird scenarios. Um, John's my favorite writer, and uh, so. We'll talk about him more later. I'm going to try to go quick on number four to keep us moving because my number or um, my number four is uh, a classic and doesn't need that much talked about it. And that's Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Um, uh, I think Clive is one of the greatest practitioners of the horror short story ever, 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 ever. Definitely. Um, I think his novels tend to be more dark fantasy which is fine. I consider that horror as well. Um, but I also think he's given to excess in his writing where he kind of overwrites and I love every delicious page of it. I don't care. That being said, what is great about Hellbound Heart is it's short, it's perfect, it's, um, it's just neatly packed. And yes, it became Hellraiser. Yes, it became one of the greatest horror movies of all time. But there's a reason. It's a great story. It has all the, the Clyde Barker elements, the dark fantasy, the crazy psychosexual weirdness, the, the, all that stuff. It has, and it's perfect horror. It's scary. It's freaky. It's got a weird family. It's, it's everything you want in Clive Barker. So Hellbound Heart is my number four. Sadie, you're number three. Uh, my number three is The Exorcist. So uh -huh. could, do I get to talk about this or was Yes, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, to talk about Swan Song, I promise. Okay, well, I chose The Exorcist because I read it later in life, um, because the movie terrified me and scarred me so bad when I was like 12, there was no way I was going to read this book. My mom told me she, you know, it was the scariest book she had ever read, so I just kind of passed on it for a long time. So I think I read this three or four years ago, um, and as a mom, um, there is nothing more terrifying the idea of your child being overtaken, their body, their mind being overtaken by, you know, a, a demonic presence. And the religious aspect of it probably would have bothered me if I had read this like in high school or something, but, you know, just later in life, in different seasons of your life, it really just uh, impacted me in a really spiritual way. Like, I, I think the ending and stuff, I don't want to spoil it. I mean, but like, you know, when was this book written in the seventies? So if you haven't read it, like, sorry, not sorry. Um, but yeah, it, the ending really blew my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, right? all, it's also one of the most famous movies of all yeah, time. I yeah. mean, come on, if you haven't read it, I'm sorry. Um, but it just kind of like this, the sacrifice and stuff at the end of the book and, and just, yeah, I don't know. It, it could be my number one, but it's not. So that's, that's my number three. All right, so now we get to all talk about a book <laughs> that two of us had at number three. Des and I both had Swan Song at number three. Oh, we yeah. have the twinsies. Huh? Yeah. Oh. Um, so, uh, Sadie, you had, you had it highest. So why don't you start us on Swan Song, and then we'll each take a turn, and then James gets to do his number three. Okay, well, like, one of my favorite books of all time is Boy's Life, but it's not really yeah. horror, so I didn't put it on my list, but same. <laughs> Robert McCammon is amazing, you guys. Like, I know you all agree. I mean, Robert McCammon is, um, 
for an emotional invested reader like myself who just falls head over heels in love dangerously with fictional people um (laughs) swan song is better than stephen king's the stand i'm sorry but it's true right i I mean in terms of emotional hardcore agree i think too because it has like a, a child as like one of the main protagonists and I think the antagonist was more interesting. I yep. think it just was all around more interesting people. And I was invested in their little, their little vignettes the entire time. I mean, and, the, and the ending's amazing. Sorry right. to interrupt there. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> totally true. No, I think Swan Song is like a really great cover song uh, that's better than the original. Because uh, admittedly, all the elements of the stand are there. You yeah. can't yep. deny that being said, it's so much better. It's so yeah. much lighter. It's so much richer. Uh, Des, uh, why did you pick Swan Song? Uh, McCammon's been just uh, a constant in in my, my horror fandom. Uh, you already mentioned uh, Boy's Life, which is maybe my favorite novel of yeah. all time. But I, I couldn't, it, there's like some horrors of childhood stuff, but uh, I, I didn't include it on this list. Uh, um, and even like Stinger, which is quite possibly the greatest pulp monster book of all time. Just really fucking great. Swan Song crawls inside your head and stays there. Um, it doesn't, now... The only version of the stand I've read is the uh, uh, complete and uncut version, which <laughs> includes includes several errors and the longest prologue ever. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 I love the stand, but it just it it just can't compete. It can't compete. And Swan Song is just so uh, publication version of the stand as yeah, like yeah, properly edited version. Um, and right. Yeah. Well, there's that, there's that whole thing. Um, like in the, I think in the, in that prologue, they say that he never, he never left his hometown, but then page pages later, he was, he fought in Vietnam. I'm like, well, <laughs> which one is it? Uh, so I think that sort of colors my, my viewing of the stand a little bit, but anyway, that's not, we're not talking about that. Um, Swan Song is just beautiful, dystopian, post-apocalyptic storytelling. It's it's sort of like Lord of the Rings, but nastier and meaner and tougher. And uh, it's just, it's grotesque and it's beautiful. I read it every couple of years, which I'm, I'm, due, I'm due for a reread on my top three in general. <laughs> yeah and that's a thick boy too that's not one to mess around with hell yeah i know right and i'm I'm a slow reader so uh so that 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 takes a, a lot of dedication for me to do that <laughs> it, it takes me forever to read um my long second books time, my second time reading swan song my most recent time was like uh maybe 15 years ago and I was working a job where I had nothing. I was just like doing elder care and I just had to be there for a whole weekend to make sure the guy didn't fall. And I read all of Swan Song in one weekend. Holy wow. shit. <laughs> Let me tell you, that is a rare experience to be able to read Swan Song in basically like one sitting. And no kidding. It was amazing to read it that way. 
And um, like, uh, look, Swan, McCammon is one of the greatest horror writers of all time. I think um, Gone South is also a masterpiece. Yeah. Also has the greatest opening sentence of any novel I've ever read, Gone South. Um, and uh, I'm just a big believer in McCammon. Swan Song, totally agree. Wolf Sour. Wolf Sour is great. Yeah, Wolf Sour is great. Huge influence on my novel, Blue Boys of the Wolf. Like, yeah. Throw that in there. And then, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so McCammon, I agree. Uh, James, end us on uh, number three because we all agreed on, or we were all in the same book. And, and now it's my turn to cheat a little bit because I'm, not, I'm, I'm certain this isn't really traditionally considered horror, but I picked 1984 by George Orwell. Mm. And I know it's more considered more science fiction or social commentary or whatever, you want, however you want to class it, just literature. Uh, but if there's any book I've, I've read that is more deeply horrifying on an existential level, I can't think of it. Um, you know, the kind of horrors that are described in that book hit much closer to home than any Lovecraftian cosmic horrors or vampires or serial killers for me. And <clears throat> it is um, one of, it's one of two books I think everybody should be required to read. I think there's two books that, you know, when you hit like high school, everyone should be, able, should be required to read 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And that's just me. Um, but, uh, but, you know, agreed. <clears throat> I think, I think the high school English, English teacher here oh, telling you that I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to keep that going. <laughs> I, I just think those two books encapsulate so much about what it means to lose your independence of thought and your individuality to a crushing society um, that, you know, everybody should go into life equipped with that understanding because uh, there's always that risk. And it comes from all, it comes from all sides. And I think Orwell painted a, a really, perfect picture of how uh, social structures and media can be used to manipulate and control thought uh, in, a, in a deeply damaging way. <clears throat> All right, Sadie, number two. Number two. Okay, number two was a fight to the death between two books. Um, it was either The Fisherman by John Langan or Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. And did somebody else have that? Uh, yes, that's going to be number one for some. Okay. We're going to come back to you. Okay, this. but I, I will say that I don't think John Langan would be sad to lose out to Shirley Jackson since he's doing the Shirley Jackson Awards. He is on the panel. So. But The Fisherman is a great read. Yeah, it is. Um, so, Des, you're number two. Yeah, there it is. That's that's the version I own too. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, James brought up the light at the end, which is a great novel. Uh, I'll add animals. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm talking about the cleanup by by uh, John Skip and Craig. Yeah, for those who are listening only audio. Yeah, Skip Inspector of the cleanup. Uh, it's I don't know. It's I I chose I could have chosen any Skip Inspector thing from the eighties. Really, um, those guys are just magic together um but the thing about the cleanup is that it just it just coincides with stuff that i like to write and basically it's it's about a a guy who basically gets the powers of a god and um goes about cleaning up you know new york in the 80s which is quite a quite a feat and uh 
uh, and well, I guess he does it. And then, uh, and then, uh, well, where does he go from there is, is the story. It's, it's the oldest story in the world, you know, the, the absolute power corrupting absolutely. And, uh, I think the, uh, failed musician is a great, um, a great vessel to tell that story from. And uh, Billy Rowe is just a, well, he's just a horrible person <laughs> as we just, dis- as we discover because he is corrupted by this power that he's given. And uh, yeah, it's, I just, I love this book. Love it. I'm a big fan of all of the, of uh, Skip Inspector books. My personal favorite is the bridge. Um, yeah. Bridge is great. Uh, oh. For, for various reasons. Um, e- Eco horror. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in my number two, which oh. is a novel as well, but not the bridge, um, but the book that inspired the bridge, um, according to John Skip. Uh, but we'll get there in a minute, um, <laughs> or in a little bit. But uh, the Skip Inspector with the cleanup, I think what they were doing is commenting on the superhero genre and a yeah, war, and it's very interesting. Um, That's another great New York novel, but it's about the New York that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, right. And and John Skip's one of the very few pe- people in my life that I've that I've met and like a hundred percent fanboyed on him to the point where I I couldn't even put together like a sentence. I'm a big I'm a big fan. I I, I had him sign Mondo Zombie for me, and he's like, "Wow, you don't see this around at all." And I was like, <laughs> "It was ridiculous." I, that has only happened to me with one author, who happens to be James's number two. So oh. perfect segue. One that um, that we was my number five. James's number two. I am Legend by Richard. Ah, uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sadie, have you, you know, read I Am Legend? I haven't read I Am Legend, but I read Hell House, so I feel like I've I've. Br- you know, breached into the Matheson world. So that's <laughs> that's on my list. I own it. Okay. So James, why did you pick I Am Legend as your number two? And then I'll... I'll if, if we consider Dracula as setting the stage for horror and kind of creating the vampire, Matheson dragged it all into the 20th century with I Am Legend and brought in just enough of an element of science to make this really something different from... Uh, the traditional horror and bring the idea of these undead beings, um, you know, into a modern setting. And and it's a beautifully written book, Uh, you know, talk about economy of style, economy of language, Matheson, there's not a wasted word in that book. And the pace is excellent. Uh, The emotional engagement with with Neville, who's the, the protagonist, is just nonstop from the beginning. And it's a landmark book. Uh, I mean, from that stems essentially the entire um, genre of Walking Dead siege, you know, stories, whether they're in films, comics, or novels. And it all really owes something to to Matheson. And considering that uh, that's one of several classic books he wrote, I think it's just uh, you know he's he deserves to be on this list. Well, and what's really amazing is that um, this book um, has such an, it does have such an emotional resonance. It is 
really incredible on many levels and it holds up. It does not feel like you're reading a book that was written in the 50s. But not only was it written in the 50s, but when I had my experience of fanboying out on Richard Matheson and barely could talk to him, he told me a story because um, I told him, I was like, oh my God, the dog chapter, the dog chapter was incredible. <laughs> and he told me a story that he had written this novel for a class at UCLA in 1954, a novel writing class in 1954. Wow. And the story that he told me was that he knew he was onto something when the teacher of the class made him read the dog chapter to the whole class and pointed at him and he said, that's a writer. Wow. wow. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. And um, like, wow. Yeah. 1954 written in like the only thing that pulls you out of it to make it not feel that, that, that dates it at all is when it mentions the nuclear war of 1978. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, Alternate history. We call that now. <laughs> I am legend. Uh, yeah, it's on my list to um, the there's two absolutely devastatingly heartbreaking chapters in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's Matheson firing on all cylinders when you know that he wrote it for a class, one of his first attempts at the novel. It's just like, are you serious? This for yeah. <laughs> a class. Um, and and when you when you come around to understand the title. Yeah, it's just it's stunning. It just uh, stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Well, and that actually reminds me of the train derails in Boston, but uh, <laughs> just which definitely took took uh, that trick from this book. But um, yeah, to my great shame, I I didn't include it on my list, uh, and it, I knew I'd run into one in this conversation. I didn't know I'd run into two, but. Uh, yeah, like, it, I, I sort of consider I Am Legend, like 1984 and like Of Mice and Men, to just be like a classic of American literature. I almost don't even like consider it horror. Like, it's just there and it's always been there. It's a masterpiece of science fiction as well. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. My, my other one uh, from Sadie's uh, mentioning of The Exorcist is Legion, which, uh, which I left out of my list yeah. for some for some horrible stupid reason <laughs> well yeah legion is a fantastic sequel to the to the exorcist an incredible piece of work but yeah. speaking of books that are both classics of science fiction and horror my number two um is the sheep look up by john bruner ah. which is in my opinion one of the most terrifying things you will ever ever read um, it is was particularly terrifying to because we recently did an episode of the Dickheads podcast about it, and to reread this book early in quarantine was um, and in coronavirus time was particularly frightening because there were many, many, many parts of this book that were happening in real time in our world. <laughs> right. And I had that experience when I read it in 2006 when I kept saying, "Whoa, this is about <laughs> Bush." And this book was written in 1972. Um, and uh, John Bruner has a tendency, he's a classic science fiction writer and he predicted the internet and shockwave writer. He predicted school shootings in Stand on Zanzibar. Um, there's electronic cars in here, but this novel is the most deeply depressing and awful 
experience you'll ever read <laughs> because it is about um, our environment completely trashed and destroyed and um, it is incredibly plausible. Um, this book is more, it's before climate change became a thing, so it's more about pollution and but you can see a lot of the same kinds of things happening and um, this book was a huge influence on uh, Skip Inspector's The Bridge. Uh, John Skip considers it one of his all-time horror novels. He was on our episode of Dickheads about it. And um, it is also a huge influence on my novel, uh, Ring of Fire, which um, which was Splatterpunk War nominated um, from Deadite Press. Read it. Read it. It's great. Yeah. And uh, if you read The Sheep Look Up, I was trying to do like a modern take on The Sheep Look Up with Ring of Fire for sure. Um, the Sheep Look Up is um, one of the guys that was on our podcast and the dickheads about it, um, like his first email to me after he finished reading it was, fuck you, David. Um, it is the, because he said it was the most depressing book he ever read. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely Sign me up. That. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a pleasant read, but no. <laughs> But it is a powerful read. And um, there, there's four books that Bruner wrote in the late 60s, early 70s that are considered his masterpieces. The Jagged Orbit, which I have not read yet. Stand on Zanzibar, which is about overpopulation. It's the one that talks about mass shootings in it, um, which is also a masterpiece. But um, what I consider one of the best science fiction novels ever written. Shockwave Rider, which predicted the internet in 1972 and is one of the weirdest books you'll ever read. And then The Sheep Look Up, which is a sci-fi and horror masterpiece. And I cannot say enough about this book. It is uh, absolutely fucking incredible. That, that's the only one of his I've read and I'm due for a reread, but I guess I need to read some more John Bruner. <laughs> oh, yeah. read, read more Brunner. Yes. Yeah. Bruner's incredible. And Great writer. So, Sadie, um, The Haunting of Hill House, which um, is... Also, well, no, we'll come back around to it. What's your number one? We got to do your number one. And you okay. can the Haunting of Hill House when we get to. This yeah. is my number one, okay? No big There shocker. it is. I read this book like every 10 years. I started when I was 13 in different seasons of my life. It has made different impacts on me. I think I was more focused on the Losers Club when they were kids, obviously, when I was, you know, an adolescent. And then later on, when they're adults, I kind of marveled as an adult over this book and then just keep finding new things. And it's like biblical. It's like horror Bible. You you find new things in it to um, attach to yourself that you carry with you. Um, there's lines from this book that resonate with me at different times in my life. Um, Pennywise is probably my favorite villain ever. Like I just can't think of a better, freakier thing than someone who feeds off of the fears of children. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about it other than Stephen King wrote the best coming of age horror novel ever. And then any coming of age novel afterwards, I was thinking of Ghoul by Brian Keene. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of Boy's Life, obviously, but just kids on bikes, riding around, defeating evil is the best trope in my yeah. world. Like, I could read that shit all day. Summer of Night. Summer of Night, Dan Simmons. Dan yep. Simmons, Mid Midnight Rain by James Newman. 
who uh, had three novels <laughs> on my short list, and it was on my short list was too. The Wicked, read, was The Wicked on your short list? It was. Yeah, I love it was. that book. The Wicked and Midnight Ring were both on my short list. And uh, yeah, I, I, I read that. <laughs> I read that in grade two. <laughs> it? It, yeah. And then I, I actually, I was in a grade two, three split class, and the part where uh, Pennywise is saying, not nice things to Beverly in the, yeah. is, it a, is it a junkyard? Is that what it, is that what it is? Well, so, a scrapyard or something. Yeah. But I was like, I was like walking to like the older kids and being like, look at this, look at these words. And they're like, holy shit. Yeah, that is, I mean, ew. <laughs> As a child, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. nightmare fuel. <laughs> uh, we just had the anniversary of the release of it. And I did, I posted something because um, I have a, I just recently lost my father and I have a really fond memory of it came, it was part of four releases that Stephen King had in one year, it misery, eyes of right. the and Tommy knockers. And so, and that was the year I discovered Stephen King. So I had, I got those four books and um, my mother had recently passed away at the time. And my father um, who was a big reader and wanted to encourage me to read said, I'll buy you any book you want. As long as you prove to me, you'll read it. And I remember getting it on the day it came out and my dad looking at the size of it and saying, you're seriously going to read this? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And I, for two weeks, I devoted every free minute that I had to, to it. And I remember very distinctly um, having a discussion with my father because I had to prove to him that I read everything. And I told him the ending. And my father said, I don't know about that ending for that much book. <laughs> <laughs> right and, uh so i just wanted to share that memory because um uh my father's not a novel reader he's a academic and he read nothing but nonfiction. and i had it was a funny conversation so uh, I, uh, before you move on i have to add to that david because uh you posted that on facebook and i made the same deal with my sons after that because i thought it was so beautiful right. um awesome it's They've only taken me up on it once, and it was Stevo's book. But uh, I'm working on it. Do? I'm working on it. <laughs> You're <still> reading, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that that my family did in order to make sure that we were all readers is that we read at the table after dinner, and we wow. to get up and do the dishes until we read for 20 minutes to a half an hour, and then over the dishes and putting everything away, we had to talk about what we read. And oh, I love that. I do too. That I was, love that. That was the way my mom and dad made sure that we were readers. And um, and uh, so institute that plan too. All right. So um, Des, you're number one. And then Sadie gets to talk about her number two with James's number one. All right. Uh, yeah. My my number one is my, yeah, my all-time favorite author. I'm a big – well, I, I, I've said – at the beginning of this, that uh, Dread Media, my podcast, covers um, horror across all media. And I have always really appreciated a, a renaissance man or woman, people who can cross over into different uh, um, uh, mediums, uh, media, <laughs> to, uh, to get their points across. And I think Clyde Barker is my all-time hero of that uh, man of film, photography, uh, you know, uh, 
novels, short stories, uh, children's, children's books, illustration, absolutely painting. Uh, he's just uh, a, tr a true artist in every sense of the word. And uh, I think his sort of riffing on uh, the, the, the idea of, of Faust, I think, in the Damnation game is, is easily my favorite horror novel. I, I knew when I agonized for days over this list, and clearly I missed a couple, but I knew the moment David invited me to be on this podcast, I knew that the Damnation Game was number one because it always has been. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. I love it. It's beautiful. It's dark. His prose is so lush. Um, and my favorite thing about Barker is his his strange diversions into description that are just so like lush and beautiful and uh, at times over the top. And then he'll throw in like a little tiny four word sentence that stops you in your tracks and makes you go back and read it again. And, and it just, I, I know it's calculated. And I think you, you classic era Clive Barker is untouchable. And I think he's got a, a ton of great novels. I think most of them fall in um, fantasy, uh, Weave World, Imagica, perfect books. But uh, yeah, I, The Damnation Game is uh, a, a, just a pure masterpiece for me. And it also came out the same year as It and was right. um, on the bestseller list at the same time of the four Stephen King books. And when you went into bookstores at that time, you'd see on the bestseller list, like two or three of those Stephen Kings and damnation game there all the time. So, yeah. And, and Stephen, Stephen King is a guy that helped make Clive Barker with his, with his blurb. There's the future of horror. And he was. <laughs> all right. So James, your number one is the haunting of Hill house. So why don't we let Sadie go first on, because that was her number two. Two. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to really like explain the, how influential The Haunting of Hill House is, but I feel like because um, when I was an early reader, I read a lot of like Agatha Christie, who is like probably more prolific than Stephen King in her career, um, just churning out novels and bestsellers. Um, and then when you read The Haunting of Hill House, it's so weirdly timely for any season and any time that you read it. Um, you know, there's, there's some themes in there that can transcend um, and then find themselves threaded through all, all of American horror and all and just, you know, she set the standard for uh, the whole haunted house and you invite people to come and, you know, the haunted house has their its way with the guests. I mean, that trope is been done how many times and still people compare it to hers and they typically fall short that's why i was saying you know hell house and and kill creek and stuff those are amazing books but when you talk about shirley jackson's book it's kind of like that's the gold standard and then everything kind of falls underneath in my opinion i, I would agree completely yeah definitely it, uh, she set the standard for uh for haunted house stories and I think for horror and for what makes good horror and for what makes good horror writing um, and 
that book is beautifully written. There's again, you know, similar to Matheson, not a wasted word in that book. Uh, it's a slim volume and yet there's nothing, you feel like you're, you've been cheated on nothing. The characters are all rich and uh, vivid. The mood and atmosphere in that book is just intense and it operates on so many levels thematically um, that it, it's, you know, you could read that over and over as, you know, I've read that more than, more than a few times and you get something different out of it every time. And I think it really just set the bar for um, what good horror is and probably plays into my preference for shorter horror, short fiction and novellas because there's no, um, you know, there's no time for you to fall out of the atmosphere of that book once you start reading it. And it's just brilliant. Yeah, there's no filler or padding, like you said. And, you know, it's, it's, it speaks to her talent that she could, you know, put it all in that many words. And like you said, no, not a word wasted. Whereas then you have like, you know, that season of time where Stephen King and Peter Straub, you know, they're filling these giant 800 page novels you know, and it's like, okay, well, can you do it in 200? <laughs> well, I hope they take that challenge. <laughs> I, yeah, I, find, I find King's books, you know, once he gets past 400 pages, I'm, I always think twice. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, th this one was on my short list too. Great, great novel. Great novel. Great, from a great writer. We're very close to 530. I'm going to try to do this as succinctly as I can, but I've got my number one. And if you have to dip out, Sadie, it's okay. Um, no, it's good. You have three minutes. Right. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, my favorite horror novel of all time is a work of anger, frustration, and pain that was somebody working through. Um, trying to recover from drug addiction and pouring every ounce of it onto the page. And that is John Shirley's masterpiece, Wet Bones. Um, John has not been shy about saying that he was trying to recover from heroin addiction when he wrote Wet Bones. And this is a Lovecraftian body horror serial killer novel with cultists and weirdos, but it is also just an ex it, it's angry in the way that a punk rock song is angry. Um, the this is a short novel. It's only, the, the hardcover is what, uh, 265 pages. Um, but the brutal intensity of it is just crazy. It also comments on Hollywood and some of the kind of weird things that are going on there because um, John was living in LA at the time when he wrote it. And uh, Wet Bones is uh, a masterpiece of just angry horror fiction. The, the amount of energy that he's putting into dealing with the drug addiction. Now, the drug addiction is the thing that drives the monster, the killer, the weird aspect of it. And if you don't put yourself into the position of someone who is suffering from drug addiction, this book might not work for you. It might not scare you like it did me. But... If you think about the idea of when you see somebody on the street who's been destroyed uh, by drugs and they can barely walk or they don't have the ability to function anymore, this novel is about that monster inside you that cannot be stopped 
and can demolish a human being to that level. And it is a giant middle finger to the struggle that John was going through when he wrote it. And I think it's incredible. It's a masterpiece. It is completely underrated. I think John has a science fiction masterpiece and a horror masterpiece. His science fiction masterpiece, The City Come a Walkin', which basically was cyber, which William Gibson called cyberpunk patient zero. And um, I think this, I know other people think this is one of the greatest horror novels ever written. I know Cody Goodfellow agrees with me. He's the one that told me to read it um, first. And I am evangelical about Wet Bones as being the, my favorite horror novel of all time. Um, and uh, so that's it. Does anybody, why don't we go around and just react to um, having listened to all this. Sadie, what, what, which ones jumped out at you that you hadn't read before that you really- Well, read? James, what was your number one again? The Haunting of Hill House. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, so I haven't read, I haven't, read wet bones and i haven't read damnation game i had an incident with clive parker where i kind of jumped in at the wrong book i read mr be gone as my first one and i hated it and then i read the thief of always and i'm really childlike sometimes in my like i love illustrations and i love the eyes of the dragon and i just love like kids and protagonists um and then so so the thief of always really kind of won me over with the illustrations and stuff yeah so so then i I tried him again my my heart is beating i'm like is she gonna say the thief of always sucks too no i love that book i have it in hard copy i i went and tracked it down and got like a really good copy of it an absolute classic Yeah. yeah so he won me over and then i read hellbound heart and then i read the books of blood and Midnight on the Meat Train was like, hell yeah, like this <laughs> rocks. Um, so I definitely want to read I Am Legend in October because I'm making my October TBR. And since I'm a reviewer and I have to keep up with all the 2020 stuff, I don't really go back into my back catalog very often because I just don't have the time. So in October and my birthday, I allow myself to read books that are in in the back catalog so i've added i want to get the other i want to just get some travis tree on harvest house or the other which one uh Har- harvest home harvest uh, home yeah That's what it was. Uh, either really either or uh it depends on you, you like full horror so you should yeah. definitely read harvest home okay yeah because so that was on your list too right james yes okay so i'm gonna get that i'm gonna get i am legend and exquisite corpse those are on my to-buy list. That's a hell of a list. That's a hell of a list. Yeah. October. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Des, did you find anything on the, on these lists that you're like, I really got to read? Well, I, I made a list of what, 12 books Four, six, eight, ten. 10. Yeah. 12 books. So Kill Creek brother. I've read, uh, I've read other uh, Anya Alborn stuff. Seed, right? She wrote Seed. Seed, that, that was her yeah. first one. Yeah. yeah and that, Brother that one, is really brutal. That yeah. one really, it was really great. So yeah, I'm going to read that. Demons by John Shirley. I've never read. I'm going to uh, never read, never read. <laughs> <laughs> words, words are hard. Uh, this wasn't on anybody's list, but Dave, you mentioned uh, Dark Gods by uh, Ted Klein. I haven't read that. Uh, Last Days by Brian Evanson. I've read a lot of his short fiction. Never read a, never read a novel. Kindred by Octavia Butler. Uh, Ring Shout looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, the Castle of Los Angeles. 
suffer the children, the stress of her regard, come closer in darkness waiting. Um, and also uh, this whole conversation just outlined the fact that I have had two books on my to be read pile for far too long. Uh, and they both stem from that world horror convention, David. Uh, one is one is Bird Box, and the other is Wet Bones. You oh. told me you told me to read that, so I bought I bought uh, Wet Bones limited edition. I own it, and 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 clearly Josh gave me a copy of Bird Box. I still haven't read it. So uh, those are those are on my list to get to in January because I'm dedicating the rest of this year to books from 2020 that I haven't read yet. So. Yeah, so uh, ones that um, the uh, suffer the suffer the children is definitely high on my list of ones that I want to check out. Um, I need to to get Thomas Tryon because I've never read uh, that. That is a huge gap in my my reading. Um, and then I think a train derails in Boston definitely sounds like totally up my up my alley. I definitely right. read that. And then. Um, the PJ, uh, the Clark one, what was the, the uh, Sadie? Oh, um, Ring Shout. Ring Shout, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm definitely. Gonna, yeah. Like if you guys have, did you guys watch the KK Klansman uh, or the- Black Klansman? Black Klansman. I haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good theme for right now, you know, and it's a quick read. Cool. All right, James, what, what, which ones jumped out at you that you know you're going to run out and get? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking uh, Kill Creek is definitely there. I have a copy of that. I just haven't gotten to it, so I'm going to go pull that out. And uh, Last Days by Brian Evanson. Uh, I Am the New God by Nicole Cushing. I didn't know about that one. And I've oh, yeah, I need read, to add that, too. <laughs> I've read, um, I, thought I, was, I thought I was current except for um, her last one about, uh, I can't remember the title exactly, is Something Gray Laugh. Yeah, it's a sick, sick gray laugh. Gray laugh. Yeah. Right. So I hadn't read that, and I thought, oh, I just have to catch up on one. What a what a it's weird what a weird book that is, man. Really good too. Yeah. We cool. put that in um, our Nightworm subscription box, and the 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 reviews were like all over the map for that one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's part it's part travelogue, and like it makes it makes sense. Oh. Like a lot of people are not gonna like it, yeah. but it's really good. <laughs> cool. So I've got that on my list. Uh, Lambs by Michael Lewis Calvillo. I didn't oh, that's that. on mine too. Um, Primitive. I, I haven't read J.F. Gonzalez, but that sounds like something I would really dig. So it's, and, it's a recent, recently in print too. Brian, Brian Keene's done amazing work uh, as uh, holding J.F. Gonzalez's uh, literary estate getting some books back in print so that's good there's there, there's an easy to find ebook copy of that for sure good so that's that's an easy one to pick up and legion i you know i've read the exorcist i i didn't realize until we were talking about, i'm like geez i haven't read legion so I, i'm gonna pick that up because uh i'm curious i mean i, I assume it's related to the, to exorcist 3 the film yeah um, yeah which I, I i know i get i probably will get things thrown at me by horror fans for saying this but no you won't no, you won't. <laughs> not, actually, not, actually not here. The Exorcist Three to the Exorcist. <laughs> These guys in this is a movie. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I we fucking love that movie. The Exorcist Three is better than the original. Yeah. Okay. And there if, are. If, sorry, I was no, just gonna ahead. say there. There is no horror gatekeeping. Like we, there is no horror card that you get punched if you, you know, like 
<laughs> I, I hate that shit. I hate yeah. when it's like, well, you're not a horror fan if you haven't read this and that, or you, you know, it's like, who, who's the boss here? Like, you right. know, who, who decides these things? A bunch of yahoos? That doesn't make <laughs> sense for me. Well, no. I mean, just our conversation just showed that there's far more good horror than any person can keep up with. And we exactly. it's going to be something exactly. you can get to. So, uh, right. I'm just, I'm amazed at this mix of books. It's just such a great list. <laughs> And if this was a top 10 horror movies list, then Exorcist 3 would be high up on my list. And uh, it's a pale imitation of the book. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the book is incredible. Um, Legion is an incredible book. And the paperback has the greatest cover of all time. Absolutely. Oh, I yeah. have it. I just picked it up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It's like kind of foily. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's buried back here, but um, <laughs> it has the best like in out, like hole in the. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Uh, folks, you guys were great. Um, this was a really excellent discussion. I think people are really going to have fun and enjoy like the the depth of knowledge of from from of the genre between the the three of you was was exactly what I was looking for. Um, <laughs> I uh, this was a dream panel for me because I I, I knew this group would, would would bring it with this list. Um, so I really appreciate everyone's time. So let's just go around and tell people how they can find you if they've made it this far. Uh, Sadie. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Mother Horror, and also Instagram at Mother Horror. Um, also, Nightworms.com is our book subscription company. We are currently taking a. Uh, uh, pre-orders for a really awesome package coming in November. That's how you can find me. Dez. Well, Dez is low on cash at the moment, but he might subscribe to Nightworms. Uh, uh, also, I host uh, the Dread Media podcast, dreadmedia.com, at dreadmedia on Twitter. Uh, my debut novel, Mother of Abominations, is not quite horror, but it's sort of like... Uh, pulp giant monsters it's like uh mixes like ira politics and giant monsters featuring a battle between a griffin and the loch ness monster in london uh so if that floats your boat then give that a give that a shot also we've got a uh, we've got a kickstarter for a book in that universe right now which will be over and done with by the time this comes out but uh it's set in a shared universe that's that's me Thank and you. Read, Thank you for having me. I've read one of Dez's forthcoming books that was incredible. I just want to shout out for. Uh, <laughs> I do want to Thank read you, your guys's books too. So hit me up, you know, to do that. I would love to do that. So, we'll do. Yeah. And James, uh, the Bram Stoker Award winning. <laughs> uh, James. Uh, well, yeah, you can you can find me online at jameschambersonline.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Mothman1313. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm not too hard to find. Um, so easy enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm David Agridoff, the host of this uh, here podcast. Um, all my books are available on Amazon, um, mostly through Deadite Press. All my horror novels are. I recently released a science fiction novel called Goddamn Killing Machines. Um, yes. Books. And Good book. <laughs> it's uh uh the dirty dozen meets philip k dick is the the pitch that i kind of give people but um but yeah thanks everybody for sticking around and hearing our horror picks i hope you got all kinds of reads 
you know where to comment on online, especially on YouTube. I'm sure we're going to get it on YouTube. <laughs> Lots of people telling us what we missed. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Hit we're us. not reading the comments, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> I'm angry at myself for what I missed just during this episode. I'm, I'm anxious to hear my anxiety is, is, is getting up to here for what, what, yeah, what none of us got. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of authors that came to mind that none of us picked. So I'm wait I'm waiting for someone to call us on uh, Peter Straub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. You, you won't, you won't get me with Straub. <laughs> that's another, that's another podcast. Yeah. All right. So folks, uh, uh, thanks for joining us on Postcards from a Dying World and we'll uh, see you next time.